We back. Mobile homies, happy Friday. My man Chino XL will be tapping in shortly. Uh, hey. Brother Lyric Bourne. What's happening? What's good, sir? How you doing, man? You look great, man. Man, listen. When you this old, man, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. How you been, man? I've been good, man. No complaints. This is a monumental moment because you know my uh my baby girl's name is Lyric. I, I did not know that. Anytime your name comes across or I'm listening to your music or whatever, she's like, Lyric, huh? So Lyric, born, meet Lyric. <laughs> how are you, Lyric? How are you? Good. Yeah. So how, where you at, man? Are you in Are you in uh, Southern California right now? Yeah, well, kind of, I'm in Ventura. So what is that? Kind of like almost to the Central Coast. Okay, okay. Almost That's right. I, I didn't. I didn't realize that the last time I saw you, five years ago at yeah. this man, you know, and it was, uh, it was at the Adrian Young gig. I don't. I don't think we can call Adrian Young just Adrian Young. Doesn't don't we have to call him the, the incomparable or <laughs> like he has to have some kind of name like that? But yeah, yeah. And you, I, I remember uh, when we were doing a Ghostface joint. Yeah. And you know, it was a task. I mean, we had a script. We had a beat that was definitely, um, how can I call it? Interesting. It was a little bit different. And when he said, uh, well, you know who else I'm going to have on here with you? Lyrics born. I was like, man, okay. Because I knew that timing wise, you know, timing and pantameter, like you would fit perfectly with that. And then when he added, you know, the legend Scarab, I was like, okay, this is really, really going to work. But it was really an honor to work with you, man. I really mean that. Appreciate that, man. You know, and, and I think what I'm referring to is is uh, we were both on an, an Adrian Young album about four or five years ago now. It was Adrian and Ghostface Killer. And it was, well, it was 12, how many ways to die? Or what was it? Do you remember the title of the album? It was his second 12 ways to die, right? 12 ways. To, I'm so shitty with, oh, sorry, excuse me, man. I know your daughter's right there, man. I got to. Booksell's daughter, bro. She's heard it all. Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm so terrible with titles, man. And I, But I, I remember I was really, really excited when I heard who was on the record, when, when Adrian hit me and, and he told me who was on the record. And then when he wanted to do the gig, we did that gig in downtown L.A. And I think that was the after me, you know, hearing about you for years, hearing you on the Wake Up Show, hearing you hear all these, you know, playing your records on college radio back in the day. That was the first time that we had met, like five, five, six years ago, you know. And I got to say, man, and I think I said this at the time, and this is how I want to start this, you know, because I think it's it's it, it's important for people to know the context that I see you in, you know what I mean, is that there's only been a couple rappers that I have been around, like in person, face to face, where I've seen them rap with my own eyes, like not hearing them on the radio, not hearing their records, not watching them on TV, but actually been been in the physical presence of, you know what I mean? And watch them rap. And I'm just like this. You know what I'm saying? There's only a couple guys like that. There's only a couple guys like that. One was the gift to gab. And and you you're one of those maybe three, I think. I'm not just saying this because I'm in your in your, in your uh viral presence right now, but you definitely are one of the best performers I've ever seen. Thank and, you. And I'm and that I don't mean like hip hop performers. Mm -hmm. I mean like 
cross genre. Like, you could be booked at any genre event, and people would have to say, yo, that dude gives a hell of a show. Yeah. You know? Thank you. And, and it, I can tell that you work on it as a craftsman, but there's mm -hmm. also some sort of a natural connection that you have with being comfortable on the set. Like, you look like you could just be in, on a sofa and do your show. You're so comfortable up there. That's funny, man. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. I'm not I'm not tearing up, man. I just had some dust flying by. <laughs> There's only a few of us with that real breath control on stage, too. It's hard, man. It's it's harder than people think, you know? You're like people don't realize you kind of got to be part athlete. You know what I mean? Definitely. And you're you're up there and like, you know, some of those moments you're like, I knew I should have rhymed, you know, dog with frog. My life would have been a lot more easy. <laughs> totally. Especially when you're in like a high climate somewhere, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, let's let's talk, man, because I mean, because to say that you're you're just a rapper at this point or to say that you were just a rapper at any point in your career is it's just not accurate. I mean, I know people think of you as like this like this lyrical beast, you know what I mean? But I think a lot of people don't know that you you've acted. You know what I mean? You're an activist. You know, you're, you're into so many things, man. And, and I really would like to take it back to the beginning if we can, because sure. I, I really want people to understand your journey because it's so interesting. So and, and you're originally you're from New York. Is that right? Yeah. We lived in the Bronx first. Mm -hmm. My dad is Puerto Rican and my mom is black. And we moved to New Jersey after that. And so that's where, you know, I basically cut my teeth and, you know, earned my bones, you know, in those circles. Like uh, East Orange and North New Jersey is like, there's so many talented people. It's not to knock anywhere else, but right. in like four block radius, you have myself, the Fugees, Naughty by Nature, Channel Live. Latifah. Latifah, excuse me, Lords of the Underground. Right. Um, Whitney Houston is from down the street, Dionne Warwick. Like, there's definitely something in the air when it comes to talent and inspiration. So it was really Red Man. It was really some killer be kills shit when it came to like talent shows and rhyming and the cypher and all of that. It was really, really serious. And I mean, there's MCs also that people will never hear of from my neighborhood that uh, probably would be top five if they did. Right. So going back to it as per literature, it was just so serious, you know, of, of an art form and a, and, a, and a culture. And I mean, were you rubbing shoulders with these guys? Like, yeah. There was a place called Club 88 where they had a contest every month. And, and dude, the, uh, what you win is $300. That shit was like $3,000. <laughs> For sure, yeah. And so everybody would be in there banging out, bro, banging out. Um, Tretch and them were older than me. And uh, they, they were like the people to beat. And then you had Redman used to DJ for Lords of the Underground. Everybody basically passed through there, man. It was um, really a good place to see if you were good or you were not. Right. And, and then, so, so you, you, you what, what years are we talking about here that you're cutting your teeth? And how old are you at this point? Or, you know, what era? Uh, this is the 80s, man. I'm like a yeah. fresh sophomore. Yeah. You know, from eighth grade to then. And, you know, it's funny because people talk about these cats being, this is no disrespect again, you know, being so young and they're babies and everything. And like, you know, when y'all first heard of me, I was 16. You know what I'm saying? Yes. 17. Um, we just didn't, 
our childhood, we weren't allowed to be children the same way people are now. You know, it's different. What do you mean by that? I just mean, I really feel like, and this is no disrespect again, but you kind of had to know what you were going to do with your life when we were kids. Like, you know, you got hair under your arms, boy, you a man now. Everything was you a man now, right? Right, yeah. Where, of course, it's a better way of life for kids to be able to, you know, be home and sheltered for a lot longer because you do need that. Yeah. I just feel like my era, we didn't take that into consideration. You know, we were just avant-garde and leaning forward. And I knew that, you know, writing and, the co and being part of the culture was going to be a magic carpet for me to get out of my situations, whether they be financial or the abusive relationship I was in my step with my stepfather. Like, right. I just knew that this was the way out. Yes, an escape, essentially. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think that's how a lot of us feel, you know what I mean, about music and about art, for particularly those that that do it and do it well and do it in a, re in a real committed way. We just find this, we tap into this avenue that helps deliver us from this really difficult or, uh, you know, situation that for someone like yourself, I mean, you, you know, you're, you're cutting your teeth in these places like Club 88 and so forth. I mean, was Art of Origin a thing at that time? Was was your group Art of Origin a thing at that time, or? Yeah, we were. That that was a group that was in. It was me, and if anybody's uh, familiar with the house world, uh, there's a really great producer named Kerry Chandler, and he was the yeah. other man. None, none of the songs that we had together, we performed. I only performed the songs where I rap. Yeah. Um, we were a group at that time, and when I got signed, I actually got signed by Rick Rubin as the Art of Origin before I went solo. It just never came out. So how did that? So how did that work? I mean, how how did you get from being like this aspiring rapper in in East Orange, um, and then, it, also a part of this group Art of Origin, to suddenly getting picked up by Rick Rubin and Deaf American? I mean, what what were what was the history there in, in between those steps? Shit, there's so many so many different branches to that tree. I'm gonna pick one. Okay, so Rick Rubin leaves. Def Jam, and he yeah. leaves New York. This is just me speaking from being around him as a kid. I feel like he was a bit disenfranchised with the way where hip hop was going. You're talking about Rick. You're talking Rick. about yes, yeah. yeah. Um, remember, he's the he's the person that signed Public Enemy. He's the sign. He's the person that signed LL Cool J. Right. No right. one. No disrespect to nobody else. He was the one that that put out Tila Rockets. Yours. <laughs> Yeah. He was the one that put out the BC Boys and Mark the Dia was the first person that played it in. So he was extremely hip hop. Right. Um, his partner, with no disrespect, Russell Simmons, was more like a money guy and wanted to dress it up a lot more. So Rick moves to LA. He's real disenfranchised with the rawness of, of the direction that rap was in. And then he hears me rhyme. And. To say that I didn't give a fuck was a complete understatement. <laughs> from, from what I had been through in my life, what yeah. were you going to do to me? I was living in the graveyard, literally, like, what were you going to take from me? Yeah. The one thing you weren't going to take from me is the hours that I spent on this craft. Mm. So you can hate me. You cannot like me. You can complain because I didn't look like every MC at the time. Mm-hmm you couldn't take from me is when you walk away saying damn that motherfucker could spit see now that's that's really an important theme i think throughout your entire career and and before i even knew you that 
was clearly evident in your spirit was that intensity. You know what I mean? Like there was a very serious intensity. Even when the songs were humorous, even when the songs were really dark, you know, there was this underlying intensity that I, I think instantly separated you from everybody else at that time. Yeah, and of course, yes, you look different. Yes, you sounded different. The beats were different. And I think that's what really made you special early on, in my estimation. You, you know. You. Thank you. So, so how did Rick come to hear you? Okay, so there was a guy named Dan Charnis who was known for the book yeah. The Big Payback Now. Yeah. And he was working for Corey Robbins at Profile. Okay, I remember Corey. Fuck Corey. <laughs> okay. We'll yeah. get to that. Okay. <laughs> Bill Stephanie. Yeah. Rick's guy. See, now everybody you're mentioning here, by the way, for those that don't know, they're all legends. Yeah. This, you know, but yes, continue. Yeah. So Bill Stephanie tells Rick, I mean, tells Dan that Rick is looking for some new wax and he's looking for a new A&R. Not to cut you off, but Bill Stephanie was the legendary publicist at, at Def Jam. But yeah. yes, continue, continue, yeah. So, long story short, I put together a new demo. It had a song called Burn in Hell that Dan actually produced. Mm. So, so we put the old Art of Origin songs on there. We led the demo with Burn in Hell, and Rick flew... Dan to LA and uh, so at the time I'm basically homeless right but my own but by my own that's what I wanted right so I would sneak into my room um because it was on the first floor when it got just really cold some nights mm -hmm. so I remember this one particular night that I snuck into my room and I was just sleeping on the middle of the floor and I kid you not I had completely given up you snuck into your own house yeah I lived in the graveyard it was just too cold Mm. that one night so my best friend bubble lived down the street and i would get phone calls through him so i'm sleeping in the middle of the floor i had completely given up completely given up i promise completely given up mm. it was back on my window it was bubble he's like yo man you got a phone call so i walked down the street i picked up the phone and it was dan and dan says how does it feel to be a deaf american artist and I said, that would be nice, man, when the shit happens. He said, how does it feel? Rick loves your shit. Wow. So that old adage of people saying never give up. Right. Bruh, never give up, man. Never give up. I want to ask you a couple things. Okay. okay. You, you stop me. You know, stop me. Feel free to not answer. Okay. I don't know how to say this, man. A guy sneaking into his house. Okay, that almost says more than a guy that's sneaking out of his house. You know what I'm saying? A guy sneaking into his house does not want to be seen or, or be known about in his home, you know, just so you can spend the night in a place that's warm, right? You say you'd almost given up. Yeah. What do you mean by that? I mean, the only thing that I really had, well, that I had invested myself into was... You know, making it out through the music. Yeah. And I just didn't see it happening at the time. And even though I had a lot of interest, man, I could tell you all kinds of labels wanted to sign me. It just didn't feel like anything was clicking. And mm -hmm. it didn't feel like it was going to work. And, you know, regardless of what you have going on in a business, I'm sure you know, 
your personal life becomes paramount. Mm. You know? And when you can't eat and you got to do all kinds of things to survive, that's not really life, right? Right. That's where I was at. So a pretty dark place, you know? Extremely. And then you get this call. Yeah. That the most legendary, one of the most important people in the history of hip hop loves your shit. How validated did you feel at that moment? Brother Born, I have one more to even elevate it higher than validation. Yeah. I grew up wanting to be LL Cool J. Yeah, right. We all did, for sure. Yeah. No, continue though. Yeah. But me, mm. think about vocal tone. Mm -hmm. Think about timings. Think about being light skinned with dimples. Think about, <laughs> you know, I just kind of felt like, okay, the things that I have to give vocabulary wise, mm. I could relate to him. And I was like, okay, there is a place for me. Mm. So for the person who discovered him at 16 to discover me at 16, you want to talk about a manifestation that people like wow. to throw that, they like to throw that word around like cheap pussy, right? Right. <laughs> it, it was the actual manifestation, not what the cheap version that people are using now. This was a life's mantra come into existence. The only person in the world that I felt would ever get behind how much I did not give a fuck, how hurt I was and how I wanted to hurt the world back with the mic. Mm. Only person. Mm. Yeah. The only person that would understand my rock aesthetic. Mm. The only person that would say, oh, you don't really listen to rap that much? You listen to Slayer and Danze? Well, I fucking sign them. Right, right, <laughs> right, wow. The only person that says, okay, that understands that the Beastie Boys and Nirvana and, and, and Slayer created grunge. Yeah. So our conversations were, even though I was a child, as far as musical IQ goes, I feel like I was a Jedi communicating with another Jedi. Mm. You were kindred spirits in a way. Yeah, no, no, nobody else would have seen the vision. No matter what did or didn't transpire, you will never hear me say a bad word about Rick Rubin because there was no one that would have ever got behind my vision. That's, yeah. There was no, I could not be crazy enough. There was right. the most insane sh My first single that he put out, I talked about how my company was fucking me, bro. Mm. He put that out. Put that out. A real dude. He's a real dude. Yeah. Oh, oh, you mean you were talking about how Deaf American was fucking you? Right. That, right. That's that's crazy. And he still put that out. Did he take issue with that? Did anybody at the label ever say anything about that? Well, no, because I was signed to a label that had never broke a rap group before. And so I had to overcome all of these tropes like, no, I need a video. The same way that you give the rock groups tour support the way that I communicate to my audience is through videos. So I had to, I was educating them at the same time. You know, he was kind of like a, I don't want to say an absentee landlord because he was very interested in what I was doing, but right. he kind of letting it run itself and kind of, you know, letting Dan figure things out and letting me figure things out. And, and he just wanted to be as raw as possible. So sometimes when it came to listen, we need a little bit of leverage here. Yeah. You know, and luckily, you know, the stars aligned. And when I, when he's like, no complex got on MTV, you know what I mean? Like just a nigga rapping about kind of crazy shit. Right. Got 
So luckily, when I asked for something, when I pushed for something, the world was ready at the time. Well, ready and not ready at the same time, but the, the, the machines were ready to see something a little bit different. I really felt like Nirvana coming to kill a hair bands. Mm. Was that your attitude? That was your frame of mind at that moment? Yeah. A lot of times, for those of us in this industry, we have an axe to grind. You know what I mean? Multiple axes to grind. And this is how we've been able to push forward, you, you know, is because we're able to channel this into our careers, into our work. And I, I just don't know of another person. I, I, you know, I was trying to think about this before. And I just, I mean, we're talking about the 90s at this, at this, at this moment, right? I mean, your first Deaf American release was what, was what year? 96, one year before Latirix. Right, right, yeah. Wow, you remember that. I don't even remember that shit, but yeah, okay. I do. Right, right. <laughs> but that's interesting, man, because, you know, at that time, I don't remember anybody getting that personal on records. I don't, you know, about their own experience. I don't remember anybody being this, that open. This is not Tonk My Horn because... <laughs> I just thought that that would be interesting. No, <laughs> no, no, they say there's a lot to say for a man who doesn't say it for himself. That's why I don't, there's certain accolades I'm like, but I really think the first introspective record that I ever heard was my own, which was the remake of Creep. I had never heard an urban person talking about being a loser and maybe the girl doesn't like him because he doesn't have shit. And Huge you, record. Huge Creep. record. I, I had never heard that. And so, like, I don't want to take responsibility for creating emo rap, but yeah. I would say the first record that I had ever heard, why I thought it was avant-garde, and the reason that we went, that I wanted to go with that instead of thousands of ways to get paid, is I just felt like it's impossible for everybody to feel like a tough guy all the time. Right, yeah. It's, it's impossible to be a tough guy all the time, you know. When you're not a real tough guy anyway, you know, like the actual tough guy motherfuckers got emotions and don't even want to be tough. You just have to be. But yeah, so at the moment, I just felt like, and everybody was like, you know, the state of hip hop was this and that and that and this. And like, yeah, I could talk shit on every record and grab my dick on every record and out metaphor, simile, entendre. But there's got to be a lot of people like me that feel crucified by their own actions. You know what I mean? Everybody talks about getting a girl. What about losing her? You know what I'm saying? Or not being able to ever get her. So that's why I made that, just to be honest. I also feel like I was so young that a lot of records that I made, when people would talk about, how could you be that vulnerable? I didn't know any better. I didn't know any better. I didn't know. I didn't really have anything to hide. It was okay just to be here. I didn't really have family in that sense that I had to like, worry about what they felt like or you know about what i was talking about or just whatever so you know just being honest on the record i've always been able to do that well that well that's what i was going to say because you know I, I know about your family history through your music you know what i mean most people know your family history through your music and in my experience if that's the case usually a person didn't have a support network you know what I mean? Like that that's what I pull from situations like that when I hear those kinds of songs. You know what I mean? Is I, I'm I'm thinking to myself, okay, maybe this person didn't have a support network and this is his outlet. You, you know what I mean? Is that true? Is that would would you say that was true in your case? 
I mean, I was a father at a very young age. Yeah. That gave me motivation because, okay, well, I have somebody to be responsible for. Mm-hmm. Damn, I can't get killed tonight, you know? Were you a father? Were you a father when Creep came out? You've never heard a Chino Excel song when I wasn't a father. Wow. Okay. And and it's funny because I have so many friends that are having kids now. Mm-hmm. Man, I feel so different. <laughs> and I explained to them how chemically it's different. Yeah. And I didn't know what a advantage, how advantageous it was to be able to write from that place as well. But yeah, I didn't. I had no support, you know, network. And that's why when, you know, I literally grew up with hip hop as my family. Yeah. The, like the culture as my family. And it's so, yes. that's why when people talk about people disrespecting the culture or being culture vultures and all of that, mm-hmm. I don't think they understand for us purists or people who grew up with literally LL and G-Rap and Rakim almost being like father figures, you know, or... Hundred percent. They don't understand why we're so guarded, right? Or why we're so defensive, or why we hold on to it so long, you know, so strongly, right? You know, it's no different than a person holding on to the flag from where they're from. This is where we're all from. It just right. happens that we're all diverse. Yes. Well, that, I mean, that comes up a lot in mobile homies, you know, particularly in artists that got their start professionally, like in the 90s and 2000s, you know, is this this notion of culture, you know, and being raised by hip hop, you know what I mean? Because when we look back and, you know, we've talked about this several times on, on Mobile Homies, it's like it informed almost all of our decisions, you know, and informed how we dressed, how we laced our shoes, our choice of spouse, you know, how we should relate to people, you, you know what I'm saying? What our politics... What, what- what we named our children. 100%. 100%. You know what I mean? Look, I mean, there's a million places that we can sort of see where hip-hop has had an effect beyond just music going in and out of our ears. You know what I mean? And I think that's really important to note because you're not the first person who's who's uh, been on the other end here, myself included, who's been like, this shit saved me. You know what I mean? This shit really saved me. <laughs> People don't understand shit. How true that is on a living, vibrating, cellular level. Like, if it wasn't for this shit, if it wasn't for these rhymes that, these words that rhyme, if it wasn't for sending a vibration to, sending a, you know, a beacon to the, to the world and them saying, okay, you know, I fuck with it. To be part of something that is, bruh, like, I don't think the, do people understand what hip hop has done to the earth? <laughs> Dude, like, what was my man saying? I can't think of his name. And it's, it's uh, the brother that's on Star Wars now. John something, he's in, in, in the UK. Uh, yeah, with the B, right? Uh, yeah, I should. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. When George Floyd passed and they were rioting over there. Right. And demonstrating over there. And he talked about, I'm going to try not to choke up because this shit is so real. Yeah. When he talked about they were not going to let us be by ourselves because of what we have done for the whole planet. Mm-hmm. As the hip hop culture from America. Right. We understand what we gave the world. Dude. Because they're not going to let us know. Yeah. We're just a bunch of black, brown, and a couple of white motherfuckers and shit that just, you know, 
contributed this, whatever. And God forbid that we know what we made, right? Like the end of the planet of the apes. They ain't never want nobody to see that statue because they didn't want everybody to know, oh, no, 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 no. Y'all were in control before. Yes. So for, it's the first time I heard anybody thank us mm. for giving them that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, how the, the hip hop culture and the people that started it, but you know, before our generations, right? That's like a handful of people. Right, yeah, 100%. Very few. People that we can basically name, and yeah. the people that we can't name, they can. And so this little tiny pool of people completely changed yes. the way the earth spins on its axis. Yes, 100%. You so, know, so having I, said that, like, I can't even explain how thankful I am to the culture. Mm. And this is coming from a person who, so if I'm thankful, because I don't know where I would be, the people that ain't gave jack shit to it and just siphoned it and sucked it and mined it like it's a third world nation, mm -hmm. mortal technique, they really need to be thankful. They need to get on their hands and knees every morning and think that they could buy a toothbrush with this shit. Right. We did it. We weren't nobody. We didn't know anybody who was really rich from it. You know, we did it because we wanted to add to it. We wanted the people, man, I just wanted the people who I love in this shit to salute me and be like, yo, you're nice with it. That's all I wanted. And to get my family out of the ghetto, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it was it was really interesting, man, coming up in the 90s, right? Now, I, I was never signed to a major label. I've been an independent artist my entire career. Smart. Yeah. Well. Because you're smarter than some of us. <laughs> it wasn't by choice the whole time. You, you know what I'm saying? But the, the point that I'm trying to make is that you know, I just remember having this feeling when we were all coming up that, yes, you could make a living from it. Yes, some of us did make great livings from it, you know. But more than that, the people that were really involved with hip-hop in that era, it just gave us a sense of self-worth. You know what I mean? It gave us a sense of self-worth that we couldn't get elsewhere from any other job, you know, from any other discipline from any other way of life. You know, I, I just felt like if I can do this with my life, it is a noble cause. It is a noble purpose. And I am, I could be, I could walk away and be like, I am so proud of myself. I, I, I was explaining to my middle daughter not too long ago that the feeling that I get from taking us to dinner mm. is, bruh, I'm taking us to dinner with really no hit record except for Creep did really good, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My nigga, bar by bar. <laughs> I'm for dinner from just bars my entire life. Yeah. I'm proud of me. Yeah, for sure. And so I tell her, you know, to liken it to doing something that she loves. Yeah. Like, I, so this $5 bill right here, else's mm. $500,000 check may not even be comparable. Because mm. I did what I love and what is going to be on my tombstone for this particular $5 bill. Mm. Mm -hmm. so when we are on the same, I mean, I already knew we was on the same wavelength, but, right? So it's, it's surreal. Yeah, but I mean, so, so let's talk about that because, you know, you got your start on a major label with a legendary producer and label head. The album comes out. You have some really big singles like creep you know what i mean i remember those singles i played the shit out of those Thank you know much yeah we we um I mean, yeah, i'm not just saying this because you're but i mean the bay 
thanks to a lot of people that Dan Charnas was friends with. Yeah. Uh, bro, the Bay was, and Sway and Tech being up there was yeah. an was an anchor for me. Yeah. Because let, let let's look, because let me not mince words. The streets were fucking with me home. Yeah. But the radio and all of that was not fucking with me home. Y'all was right. fucking with me out here. Yeah, I mean that that's important to know because you had a really strong relationship with Sway and Tech. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like and I know because Sway loves rappers. You know, Sway loves MC. So does Tech, you know what I mean? But Sway, maybe because he was a rapper, you know what I mean? I, shout to Sway and Tech. Always. But I just remember. I just remember feeling like every time I listened to the Wake Up Show, which was huge in those days, incredibly influential, right? I just remember them talking about you all the time. You know what I mean? I remember you being a recurring guest on the Wake Up Show. You, you, you. Well, part of it was they love for me to hurt people. <laughs> Hundred percent. Those guys, those guys were sadistic in their own way, bro. I can tell you times when they sat me next to a motherfucker on purpose, bro. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. but, but but also, it had Swain Tech was sadistic. <laughs> it, it also had a lot to do when um, you know, don't let this get out. Yeah, but when I'm not rapping, I'm fail. I'm regular, bro. Mm. So the fact that we could go to the gym and walk dogs and our kids could play together and all that and then talk shop, you know, yeah. it hurt. Mm. It never hurt. And also I was able to take direction and articulate what it is that I wanted, mm. you know, so young MCs and people that are artists or whatever, it's really important to like have a vision because if somebody pops up on you and says, okay, I want to give you a budget. What songs do you want to do? What's the album cover going to look like? What do the videos need to look like? You know, have your vision. I always had my vision of what I wanted to do, no matter how grandiose or how small it was. Right. And those guys are just Jedis. Yeah. So for me to know the records that they knew and, you know, then, you know, my connection on the East Coast, because, you know, I um, was deep in the Zulu Nation when I was a child. Um, So I knew all. Shout out to Breakbeat Lou, man. I just seen him on here like. Yeah. What be without him. My whole first demo was nothing but his records and shit. Yeah, shout out to Break Big Lou for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, man, they they and then uh yeah, they've directed videos for me, remixed songs. I had we we did a whole album together that never came out. I feel oh oh I didn't know that. I, I just feel like they had a they had a pool of rappers. You, you know, that they had a a sort of a a kind of a, a preferential sort of uh relationship with you know and and i just remember hearing your name over and over again and they obviously they were in the bay they moved to la at what point did you move to la i've been officially living in los angeles since 2000 but i had been coming out here for so long i mean it was ice t's first my idea his idea as a child he was like she you just need to move out there mm. and then from being with you know from the hair and hanging with Booyah. People thought that I was from here. Mm. Booyah tried. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good, good yeah. friends to have. That's amazing, man. So a few but, things happened after um, the first album comes out, right? I mean, at the end of the day, how did you feel about its reception? Was that, was that here to save you all? Was that yeah. the 
Okay, so here to save you all comes out. Creep was big. I, you, you're suddenly a staple on on. Um, you may not be a staple on commercial radio, but you're definitely a staple on the Wake Up Show. Obviously, college radio, which was big at the time. You know what I mean? Rappers definitely know who you are. You, you, you know what I'm saying? People in the industry know who you are. What was your life like at that point? I never, ever wanted to be famous. Mm. Never. Mm. It was such an afterthought of it coming with making music that if you look at my album cover, the first one, they extended my nose, all of this other shit. So I didn't look like me. I got the acupuncture on the side of the face, right? When you open up the walking water on picture, my face is down. There's no actual picture like, okay, that's what he looks like. They gave me a, they gave me all kinds of bonuses to want to do a video. I really kind of didn't want to do that per se until I found out how important it was. But at first, I was against that. So you were against doing videos. Well, at, at first, before I realized that there was no way for it to get to the world a certain way. Like I didn't. If you notice, I don't have that many now. I've rarely ever done them. Mm. That is. Let me ask you that. Why do you think that is? You you, you don't want to be seen straight ahead in your album covers. As a kid, yeah. Because I wanted people to judge my lyrics and music without prejudice. Okay. I didn't want people to say, well, is he black? Is he white? Is he Latin? What is he? I don't get that, but dude, the nigga can rock. You know what I mean? Yes. I also wanted to be able to go wherever I wanted without any without anybody wanting to stop me or talk to me or talk about the music. I wanted the music to talk for itself. Mm. So I, I will tell you that being that highly recognized, bro, they turned the No Complex video in on March 20-something. It was supposed to come out on April 10th on BET and MTV. They liked it so much, they started running it before we even knew it. I remember going to the mall to get, my daughter wanted some birds, like some parakeets or something. And, <laughs> and being in the mall, and everybody was like, yo, that's Chino Excel. I had a little bit of neighborhood fame, obviously from talent shows and shit, but right. this is different. So it was literally overnight, and then nobody looked at like me at all except Busy Bone, right? So that was it. <laughs> um, right. so yeah, so I, I will say that my life changed from being, from being recognizable. Having and my children and stuff having to share me with that, right? It, I was not. I was completely not ready for that. Like it, that really, really fucked my world up. So now, were you making appearances? Were you touring at the time? Did they? Not a whole lot. I, I um. This is gonna sound super crazy, man, but I, I made that first album for the MCs that I love to love me and to get my family, meaning my children out of the hood mm. making a second album was a not even making a third album i wanted to do that so my first when i achieved that with my first album i when people like why did it take so long to come out again bro right. was spending time with my children and getting them things they can never get going places experiencing things with them i moved them to florida first um got my mom a house like i was live i was actually living life for the first time you know what i mean so was the industry fucking with your head at that moment? Like, were you not knowing how to receive it or? or? It, it was so mixed by the people who wanted me to do something different. Okay. And I remember, damn, this is complicated. You wildin'. I feel like I'm on Drink Champs a little bit, but even though I'm only eating, I'm eating Starburst though. Starburst, <laughs> Starburst Champs. It was so polarized, brother born, that the lyricists love me so much. 
And the Latinos love me so much, you know? And the West Coast loved me so much. But then some of it didn't translate to people who wanted me to be more urban or more... Because where I'm from, we all hustled and did a lot of shit, right? right. So yeah. people that, when my music came out, were expecting something way different. They were expecting for me to do what I consider snitching, if that makes sense. I wasn't going to talk about the shit that we did on the streets, bro. Why? People are still there doing it. Right. You know what I mean? So there was a certain element of that mm. from some of my more frontline friends that didn't really know what it was I was making per se or how I was going to get. Right. Now. So I, I kind of had the blinders on and I knew where I fit in and I knew that I was just, I wanted to be a lyricist. But then at that time, you got Puffy and Mace and all this glittery shit and all that. If it was a confusing time for music, imagine what a confusing time it was for a purist. Mm. It's, it's important to know that because 96, 97, 98, that's when everything changed, man. You know, so that's a, that's a really, I, I never thought about that. That's a real, talking about the historical context of when your album was released. The, the the industry and the culture was just in changeover at that and, point. And then we lost big, and then we lost, I mean, well, chronologically, yeah. and then we lost big, yeah. and the whole culture was just like, well, what the fuck do we do now? Right. What the, and, and you know, like, what happens now? Right. And it was just such a strange time, and I, I just kept writing, you know? I just like, okay, I'm just going to keep writing, and when it's time to come out again, I'll feel it. Yeah. So then how does that feel then coming out with the second album? Because at that point, everything, if you had released the first album when things were changing over, by the time you released the second album, it had changed over. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, let me tell you something. I'll tell you something that's kind of poetic and kind of telling. When we're talking about the Latirix album, right? And we're talking about the Wake Up Show. Me and Latif went in in 1997. We were doing the rounds. We did the Wake Up Show to go promote the album, the Latirix album. This is how it's, how it's changing. Latif and I are leaving that building in L.A., leaving the Wake Up Show. Coming up is big. Coming up the street, walking on their own, is big with his cane because he just got out of his car. He just recovered from his car accident, right? He's on his phone. C's is with him. Lil C's is with him. And they had the big dude. I can't, he was like security. I can't remember his name, man. But we're leaving and they're coming up to the wake up show. You know what I mean? That to me was symbolic of that era. You know what I mean? Is you kind of had these underground guys that were sort of on the periphery kind of doing this. And then you had the bad boy guys that were on the rise kind of coming up and doing this. You know what I mean? Fast forward a couple years later is when we're talking about you putting out your second album, right? Which was 2000, 2001? On 9-11. <sighs> I'm getting phone calls like, yo, she turned on TV. I'm like, oh, man, cool. You know, maybe somebody talking about some shit on there. Nah, right. she was clashing, crashing into the building and all that. What were the label's feelings going into album two? I mean, I know it was kind of a changing of the guard at that point, right? Yeah, completely. Well, Rick went to Columbia. Right. Asked me that I want to go with him because Warner wanted to keep me, um, Johnny Cash, and Sir Mix-a-Lot. That's the only people that they wanted. And if I would just stay with Warner, then he could finally leave. And it yeah. was a deal breaker, pretty much. Mm. So, you know, I came in with Mo Austin and Russ Styred and all of these huge visionary artists. Right. 
you know. Again, le again legends, music yeah. business legends. Yeah. They really love me, man. And so I was like, you know, okay, I didn't know anybody at Columbia. Right. Hey, man, I'm going to stay. He's like, you sure? And I said, yeah, I'm just going to stay. Mm. And so I made the album for them. Then it ended up coming up, coming out independently. Everybody was just kind of confused, man. I think yeah. pretty much it was just like, okay, well, we know his core is going to buy this many. You know, that's what I felt like. And so those are kind of like lost times. That's kind of when I started doing acting and I was disenfranchised with hip hop and all that shit. And then just to fast forward, to, to bring this back up to some positivity. I remember I was in the car and I was listening to some rappers freestyle and I hadn't written any rhymes in a really long time. I was just doing acting. I was like, fuck it, I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna see if I can live without it. Yeah, and you're living in LA at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And so they were reacting to these lines that these people were saying, bruh, like Jesus wrote them and they were God body trash. <laughs> And so I pulled over and I just had my fucking head down and my ex was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I want to fucking push their head into a fucking toilet and flush it. <laughs> and just looked at me and said, well, flush it then. Wow. I had a label that wanted to give me a really nice sum to make an album. Nice. Called them the next day and I made Poison Pen. The next song that I wrote was Wordsmith. The mm. song I wrote after that was Messiah. So the Poison Pen album was like my return to being encapsulated in my own self-deprivation tank mm -hmm. and just writing it as pitch black as it comes out. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of, after that, never really looked back like, okay, this is going to be my epitaph. Anything else is not going to be the same in my life. It's not going to That's it. You got fed up. You're like, this is some bullshit. Yeah, this, this shit, you, like, you can't be serious, yo. Right. You're like, this shit is passing? You, right? like, nigga, you call that a fucking entendre? Right. I'm like, this, yeah. I mean, I think, I think real rappers have all had that feeling at least once or twice or three times throughout, your, throughout their career where, like, motherfucker, that's not bars. Well, that's why I, how I came out. Yeah. Out like, you can't be serious. Yeah. <laughs> And I, and I wasn't mad that there was a lot of great MCs. Yeah. I was mad at the MCs that were not great that had so much light. Okay, yeah. Like, yeah. Let's, not, let's not pit the great MCs against each other. Right. Let's get rid of these motherfuckers that are taking up space. Right. See, they don't want the bar to be this high. Because <laughs> if the bar is this high, there will only right. be plenty of us. Right, right. But you keep talking about me, bro. That Latirix album, y'all were on some next level super avant-garde cutting edge shit with that well i think you know i think what we share you know is we came up in a time when lyricism was really esteemed you know what i mean like it was really it was really valued i think you know like i never had any illusions that the song Latirics was going to get played on commercial radio. i knew it wasn't you know what i mean that wasn't the point you know, for me, that's this is how I felt back then. For me, it's like I said, I, I mean, I felt like I was part of a noble profession and I was part of a tradition that I could be proud of, you know, and this, and, you, you know, and obviously, you know, as you get older, your priorities change and, and so forth. But I still feel that way, you know. But I think that what I see you do time and again is you listen to the spirit. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter what the world is doing. You know, it doesn't matter what, what, 
what's being played on the radio. You're, you know, Chino XL is going to listen to the spirit. You know, this motherfucker can't rap. I got to do something about this. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? That That's kind of what, and that's that intensity again. You know what I mean? And that's that integrity too. You, you know what I'm saying? Like I see a guy like, this is my value system. You know what I mean? This is what drives me. And that's kind of what I see, in my opinion, anyway, for, for as, as a guy looking back, you know, as a fan, you know, that's what I see driving him. That's what I see pushing him. Is that accurate? I have a, a lot of motivating factors, but I try to write with, like, my heart is in a glass on my desk from when I was 16. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I try to write from what initially made me feel my chemical reward system, made me feel like if G-Rap hears this, he'll smile. Right. And I had a crazy... I want sort of an intervention or derailment into a different aspect in like 2008 and nine, when I started beating the rebel arms with immortal technique that kind of changed things and, and, and calibrated my view on a lot of things differently. Again, we were in the Bay to share this story with you. Yeah. Uh, we had just done rock the bells. Mm. So there's a brother in Oakland that does an at risk youth center that does an incubation period between when brothers try to leave the gang mm. back to regular life, which is mm. time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so Tech goes, just come with me, come with me. I was like, man, I'm going back to LA, bro. I was like, man, just come with me, come with me. Mm. So I went with him or whatever, and there was a bunch of kids there, and they were going to do a Q&A. And I'm thinking to myself, these kids don't have no questions to ask me, but if my man asked me to stay, I'm just going to stay, you know, it is what it is. Right, yeah. This question is for Chino Excel. I'm like, Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the girl started asking me, were the lyrics and wordsmith true? Wow. And I was like, yeah. She was like, well, that song helps me get through some hard times. So I just wanted to thank you. I was like, okay. Yeah. Second question was right. from a dude that was mixed. He was talking about this song, I Got What Am I? Third question was about words. Another question. And Ted just looked at me and he was like, you see? And I had never, all of those songs I had about my childhood and all of that stuff, I had never really. It's not that I didn't pay attention to them. They were just my therapy. They were just things that I put, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, yeah, are this and just the monster and lyricism, this and, you know, but that really wasn't particularly what was resonating with a certain, you know, part of the people. So then I, he was like, listen, man, you know, she, you always been revolutionary. You just didn't, that's not what your focus was. And he started pulling the lines and everything. And in that moment, I just knew like, Man, all the songs about my being abused and all of the songs about escaping it and what you can do and all of that is a technology that I can calibrate that really, really can change the next person. Yes. So that is part of my motivating factors too. You know, like my song Father's Day about my daughter, I don't know if I would ever written that mm. per se, except I know so many people that are beating cancer and that are fighting cancer and they need to have an example of somebody that can beat it. So mm. I would say... I do have the motivating factor of wanting to push the, always push the envelope. But I also know that sometimes you could send somebody a message, you know, through time or space or however it is that they can actually sit with and it can help them navigate through whatever dark maze that they're in. So th that has changed a little bit as I got older. So you feel like, and I know you know this about yourself, like people are like, oh, Chino XLBMC, you know, the spitter. You, you know, like they 
they think of you in this way. But you're discovering, and you. but what I'm hearing you saying is you're discovering it's not those songs that really affected people. You know, it's not those songs where I just rap my ass off that affected people. Yeah. It, it was those songs where you were dealing with trauma. Absolutely. And the fact that I'm such a, you know, perceived as such a monster spitter and all of that shit, which I am, don't get it fucked up. <laughs> the, the fact that somebody who knows can identify with that warrior in me. Yeah. And at the same time, I can say, but hey, I've been through this and yeah. I go through this. And I may not have necessarily wanted to be this warrior that I am, but this right. is what life made me. Right. But don't think that you're any different than me because you don't feel as physically strong or mentally as strong. Mm. The world, I created this to defend the child in me. Mm. So maybe you never have to go through that. You can find other ways, you know? I think that's really important to know because I think a lot of times as artists, we, we write these songs because they're important to us, but we don't have any control. We have no idea how they're going to land out in the world. You know, we just put them out in the ether and then suddenly, you know, this song that was maybe not what, even what we think people will know us for, right? Because I've had songs like that too, where you're just like, motherfuckers want to come up and hug you on the street and shit, and they're in tears. And you're like, what happened? You know what I mean? And they were like, it's that song that you wrote about abuse, or it's that song you wrote about surviving cancer, or it's that song. Those are the moments to me that if you have those as an artist, you have it all. I, I mean, I have to concur. I know whenever I'm around Scarface, he gets tired of me telling him how much some of his songs, I was just lucky. Nigga, stop. <laughs> <laughs> That shit isn't, you know, you can yeah. tell somebody else that, but I know, you know, you, you spilled your soul into those bars. I know. Yeah. Yeah, and you know lyrics, boy. All those, a hug from somebody who recognizes you is completely different than somebody who recognizes you. Yeah, right. When somebody, yeah. when they give you that hug, man, you feel that yeah. shit, you don't, it, you don't even, it's nonverbal. You don't even have to say, like, you know, okay, I, th there's a piece of me that you got with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? hundred percent. And I mean, I, I think that that's a, that's a beautiful story, you know, that you told about, about tech bringing you out to that context in that space, you know, because again, I mean, that shit is maybe not even on your radar. You know, you're not even thinking about your career like that. You and, know? and it's funny because he knew that. Mm. We mm. talk seven years later, we've toured the world. We've built orphanages yeah. in Afghanistan. We've raised hundreds and thousands of people for that that are disadvantaged in life we've done so much and i never saw myself mm. at light ever yeah I really didn't i didn't you know and and it it's like right in front of your face right like i'll tell you something stupid like i remember like only three years ago i was writing and i was like okay so my last name is barbosa right i was like i was born in spit bars that's why my last name is barbosa the shit was in front of my face right <laughs> So in, in the same context, it was right in my face that why would you not be the champion for the child that you were? Yes, 100%. Yeah, that's amazing, man. I mean, who else is more qualified? You know, I mean, let's talk about it, you know. And, and I, I think this is another thing that I wanted to, to talk to you about was your relationship with the mortal technique, because it really is a special relationship. You know what I mean? And my brother, man, it's my brother. And, and, I mean, he's a special artist. 
You know, I've never met the dude. I've never worked with him. I've never corresponded with him. Of course, I'm a fan, you know. But how did the two of you first come into contact? So I remember in a lot of articles where people were talking about his music, they were saying that we were similar and or he had similar attack value in his rhymes or just whatever. And I never really listened to it too much. Mm. And then I had a really good friend at a show. And I remember him being like, gee, this is your dude, man. Mm. This is your dude. You got to listen to him and check him out. Like, this is an ally. Like, this is your man. Like, word. Mm. That's right. Him a little bit and he had this one line and i'm a sucker for as much as i got these lines with all these you know all these tears to him and like mm. for just a straight up linear line sometimes i'm just a sucker for it and i know his story was so you know being so independent yeah and he said something he said from something i started like being in a jail cell escape or something i started from scratch and i was like that shit starts from one if you're gonna try to break out of jail with if you're going to make a, 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 a an escape through making a hole in the wall in jail, it, that first scratch is important as hell. <laughs> Basically, I was looking at what he had achieved at the time. Yeah. Right? And I was like, damn, man, like he really communicated the hard work that he put in to me personally. So then I can't remember. This is my space shit. Mm. So I can't remember if he wrote me. Oh, I wrote him. I don't remember. I think he wrote me, actually. I was doing a project in Denver uh, with this dude, Playolitica, who just passed. Rest in peace, actually. And mm. I was snowed in. And so I remember Tech was like, oh, I'm going to call you. So his wealth of knowledge and history and the diaspora of human beings and all of this, you would yeah. not. It is magnanimous, bro. Like, it's some, you could ask him anything about history or peoples or, or, any, or, or genetic makeup. He knows all of these things, right? So it starts, so I'm snowed in working on this album. So my thing to look forward to every night was giving him a call and asking him random shit. Wow. Like, yeah. you know, why are people in France seem to be more cruel than others? Just anything. And like, he would take <laughs> from this tribe event, you know, yeah. and, him. Um, and so then he would ask me rap ass questions about my shit. And, you know, I got, I got a lot of MC friends. He would ask me about them and shit like that. Yeah. And I invited him to a uh, unity. Remember Bigger Bees have unities? Rest in peace, Bigger B, for sure. Yes. Yeah. And so Muggs had put together a tribute thing for that. And so I brought Tech out, and we were going to do, he's going to do a verse on Latino Stand Up, which was a mm -hmm. big record out here with me, Sick Jack, uh, Pitbull, and uh, Sinful from the Mexicans, all over the radio. Brother Born, the look on people's faces to see me and that nigga walking next to each other. Yeah. Like... You know what I mean? Just seeing like Godzilla and King Kong like in the same movie and shit. Right. And then when I brought him out to do Latino stand up, it was just, and then we just clicked like, you know. Yeah. Families of peace and all that shit. And it was just, you know, he, he's got, he's very, very, people talk about artists that are, uh, you know, revolutionary or artists that are, you know, push that, those kind of envelopes. Yeah. No disrespect to any of them. This motherfucker's the real thing. Yeah. No, this is the this is the sneak into your country and bring the goods to you. This is the I, I can't even tell you the things that we've got. I'm gonna stop talking about that then. We got a lot of things accomplished, man. No, I mean, he's a special dude, man, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that there's a um aside from yourself, I mean I, I don't know that there's another guy like that out there that's that committed. You you know what I mean? That's that dedicated. And I think 
this is an interesting point. As you were saying this, I'm like, okay, I get it now. They click. They're also kindred spirits. I mean, this is what he found in Rick Rubin musically. You know what I mean? This is what he found in tech, you know, not just musically, but sort of spiritually in a way. You, you know what I mean? They're just in alignment. And I think that that's amazing that like along your journey, you have been able to have caught the attention just by virtue of who you are and what you've done and what you're about. The attention of these also very special people who see that in you. And you're able to combine in such a way that expands your purpose. Not not just Chino Excel, but the two of you together, you and Rick together, Sharness, you know what I mean? You're able to sort of create these combinations that have really made huge strides and changes, you know, for a lot of people, man. I mean, that's amazing. I agree, even if... And this is before, and, and this is before we even talk about Chino Excel, like the rapper. You, you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, not before. It's in addition to. You know what I mean? I, I sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I'm just saying, like, there's a combination that happens there with these important people throughout your career. You know? I am extremely blessed. I I really don't do interviews a lot, if I, at all. I don't. I kind of try to let the music talk for itself or you know people can twist what you say and you know people are just looking for clickbait and i just don't want to be in part of any right. game like that because i am from the 90s and i still do believe in slapping a motherfucker's face off his face for doing some <laughs> <laughs> so i just try to get out of the games or whatever but i mean i am extremely blessed and thankful like I worked with, bro, I, I'm in, so I'm in Adrian Young's studio working on Ghostface's album on reels for real, where you can't punch in a bunch of times because it'll mess up the tape. Yeah. And I get to work with you and me too, who, an artist who I always thought was just super dope and, you know, no disrespect, but underrated. Thank you. Mm -hmm. My life has been that way, man. Like, I'm, I'm just, I've worked with the craftsmen. I'm one of the few people who work with them in his basement. Like, Work with who? Dilla, Jay Dilla. I mean, this is what I'm saying. I, I don't, I, I don't sit back and look at all of this stuff because I'm, I'm a very leaning for, like, I like to lean forward and just keep going. And once in a while, like, you know, somebody will start talking and start listing stuff. And I'm like, man, like, you have no idea. Like, I mean, and now my niece, you know who Lady London is? No. You, you need to. Okay, Lady London. Listen, I, I, and I am just not tacitly saying yeah. Okay. You go and rewind it. So, okay. So let, let, let's talk about this too, because I don't know if this is true. Because, you know, Wikipedia says I'm from fucking Florida. I don't know what the fuck that's all about. But I don't know if this is true. But I also read somewhere, speaking of like family ties, you know, talented family ties, that Bernie Worrell was your uncle. Is that true? My uncle. Wow. That's crazy. Rest in peace to Bernie. Did you guys have a relationship? Yeah. I okay. mean, and he bought me a DX7 when I was six years old. Like it's, I, it's I grew in your blood. I grew up on tour with dude. When people start talking about talking about Parliament Funkadelic, I'm like, nigga, you don't tell me, nigga, you ask me. Like I was there. You don't tell me, <laughs> you ask me. <laughs> like, like I was there. I was there. Remember, they're from New Jersey. That's my mom's stepbrother. Like I was there, and I don't mean I was just there. Fuck my uncle's Bernie Warren. And I don't mean I was just there. I mean I was. I used to go on tour with him. Like, I, I know who did what and who didn't do shit. Like, like I was there. My, I just give you one Bernie Worrell gem, right? 
So people don't understand why they can't play the baseline. Let me just say this. For, for the people that don't know, Bernie Worrell, the keyboard player for Parliament Funkadelic. Continue. Yes. Like, people want to know why they can't play Flashlight exactly the same. Yeah. Because he was holding the modulation at a certain way that only he knows where it is. Right, wow. So it's not an actual note. It's not an actual quarter note. It's where he felt it. Mm. Only he can play Flashlight because the modulation is to where he felt it. Nobody could touch my uncle, bro. You don't know the things that I... We're talking about from chamber music. We're talking about him being a, having whole, you know, concertos at eight years old. Like, this is a man who is... I mean, I don't even know where to begin. The only person I think that's on his level, and this is only in one department, is maybe Chick Corea. No one else. So you've had these amazing musical relationships that span generations. And it's not just people that are kind of okay and in the business. Hobbyists, occasional artists, fucking legends. The, the people that have defined the genres that they occupy. I'm I'm very blessed, man. I'm I'm telling you, when it comes to working with craftsmen and and the greats and all of that, and I don't even you know I don't walk around talking about it. You just kind of you know you you live it. You know it, it's it's um yeah. But my uncle, man, the most amazing, humble musician ever. And I mean, like I tell my kids or whatever. Remember, his music is just not confined to P funk. Yes. I mean, remember that he was in the Talking Heads and they did the Tom Tom Club. And so anytime you hear, eh, 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 dun, 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 that's my uncle, bro. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whenever you hear, whenever you hear, uh, gonna use my arms, dun, dun, I mean, he did Yoko Ono's Walking on Thin Ice. This is a whole nother level of. Hey, whoa, 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 you, the Pretenders? Did, were you just singing the Pretenders line? Look at, read it. What? Yes. Bernie played on the Pretenders records? No, he played that one, Chrissy Hines by herself. Oh, Chrissy Hines. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, I used to go to the studio. I went to the, just to give you an example, like, I went to the studio with him one time. Sade is in there. <laughs> and, and I'm a kid, and the only thing I can really remember is how much she smoked, you know? Like, my mom was like, how was it? I'm like, she smoked too much. Like, oh, like well, she smoked weed or she smoked like Benson and Hedges? Or six cigarettes, yeah. Okay, all right, okay, yeah. Wow, that's crazy, man. Listen. And, and, and keep in mind, he wasn't famous. Right. He yeah. was known as a craftsman. Yes. But he was famous. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle this all the way back around. Yeah. I'm thinking, because even though he did all of that stuff, when yes. he was home, he would walk the dogs or me. He'd take me and my cousin Dawn up to get spring water. And, you know, we'd do all of this stuff when he would come, you know, when he would come home when we weren't with him. Yes. And so I figured that, that you know, I know this is naivete of mine, but I thought that my life would probably be somewhere like that. So, okay. Let's talk about the funk for a minute. Okay. Okay. And I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to ask you. Okay. Like you said, right? Bernie Worrell's your uncle. Is it true, speaking of the funk, multiple generations, Chino XL put Prince in a headlock? True or false? Prince Rogers Nelson? I heard she had beef with Prince. Nah, man. Where did that or false? False. Where did I see this is this is why I have to ask you. 
And I can't tell you. Let me you. tell you, I, I have some kind of way through my career beat niggas up that I never met and threw niggas out of one. I did a lot of shit in the 90s. I was a very angry young man and I ran with some crazy motherfuckers also in the 90s and we got it in. But I never, how, that's my one of my favorite artists ever, if not my favorite. I heard, see, now this is why I got to talk about this, okay? Because I've heard a bunch of shit, right? I've heard a bunch of shit, but this was the most intriguing to me. Who put that nigga in a headlock? We not, that's, we, that is no kind of weight class. Like, who was that? <laughs> you know, and then, of course, motherfuckers are going to run with it. Like, oh, this motherfucker Chino Excel was bench pressing Prince. I don't know where I heard that. Maybe that was like, or or was it like some kind of legal situation? Or, or there was some kind of like issue with... Well, I was, I was trying to clear a record of his. Yes. Maybe that's where they got it from. But ultimately, I ended up getting it. Okay. How did the fuck did that turn into a physical altercation? Because, because, it, because it's me and people think I just write fucking raps all day and go beat people up at night. <laughs> that's crazy, man. Oh, my God. This has been so much fun, man, and, and so inspiring on so many levels. You know, I mean, I think I, I just the thing that I the thing that I love about you, man, is just your resilience. OK, obviously your talent. OK, that goes without saying, man. And, and the records that you made and, you know, the stories that you put into the, the meaning that you put into those records. But just your resilience and how you you seem to keep finding these new places to go. You, you know what I mean? Whether it's from, you know, going from, you know, Art of Origin to, to Deaf American, from Deaf American to the movies and acting, from that to, you know, then, then starting to work with tech and now Rebel Arms, you know, is you, you keep finding these places to go, man. And I, I think that's really rare in veteran artists, you know? And that's something that I, I think should really be celebrated. And I and I think it's something that really people should see, particularly if they want a career, is that there's no one way to do it. There's no one way to do it. There, 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 there is one keto. Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, Rick Rubin told me in my first conversation with him, is he said, as long as you can write good shit, you will always have a career. Wow. And I think that that is the center that holds. And as far as working with people, this is just my opinion. Mm. But I think that the greatest craftsmen and the greatest artists in the world are extremely regular, humble, and mm. thankful in their real life. Mm. And I just don't feel like I'm above working with anybody. I don't think that I'm above conversing from any with anybody i don't think i'm above learning from anybody mm. um i also know that there's a beauty in decay too i know that you build things up so high right that you don't realize that sometimes you have to you have to re-engineer something mm -hmm. you have to break it all the way back down because you've you've pushed it too high mm. and so for me what i do is when things really get super high like that always break them down to the smallest form again. I don't, I, you know, I don't think there's anything more to say after that, man. You know, I think all those qualities that you just talked about, you are that dude. And I think that's why to this day, when I said that we were going to do this, I got so many DMs from people, you know what I mean? And, and it's because I think your music and your actions and your attitude and, 
all that has definitely taken on a legacy of its own, you know? And, and well, people... I never would have thought, I never would have thought, I am literally a little nigga from New Jersey with a backpack full of raps, man, and that's it. And I never thought anybody would care, bro. I never <laughs> thought anybody would care. Yeah. Well, we do. You know what I'm saying? We lo I love you, man. You know, and I'm, I'm just so... back, bro. Yeah, I'm just so appreciative of everything that you've done and you can you continue to do, man. And I, I really appreciate you doing this with me. Chino XL on mobile the, homies. Let me let me let me ask you something for for my own well, two things. Go. First thing is I did this for a particular reason. I told you I was gonna do this yeah. for a certain reason. So we're gonna get into that. Okay. There there is something that I I expect to receive from this. We talked about that. Okay. But just friend to friend, how are you? You're, you're such a performer and you tour so much. How are you keeping it together, man? Are you like, I, I'm not joking, whatever. I really care. Like, are you okay? Like, not being able to tour the same right now? Like, are you okay? You know, a lot of people ask me that. I got to tell you, man, I've never felt fucking better, man. You know? More time, I, with, the, more time with the babies, right? I needed this time. I needed this time. I didn't realize how much I needed it. I didn't realize how much I needed it. I'm just so used to being a certain way. It's like reflexive. It's like, okay, what we got on the calendar next month? Okay, what we got on the calendar next? I'm like you, you know, I'm not, I, as a habit, I don't look back. I'm just looking at what's, you know, what's in front of me. And I didn't realize how much I needed the time off, you know? And it's allowed me to discover new things about myself and, and, and things that I like, like catching up with you, you know what I'm saying? Catching up with other artists, you know, being with my family. And and it's given me a chance to sort of understand other people's stories instead of just being so focused on mine. You know there's what I a, mean? There's a lot of love for you out there, my nigga. Like, a lot. Thank like you, that, man. Like, I was telling this producer that I'm working with today. I was like, he's like, what you got going on? I told him. He's like, dude, that fucking Latarix album. He was like, I know every word to it. I'm like... <laughs> You know every word? That shit is hard. <laughs> Thank you, man. That's awesome. Well, we, we got to do it again, man. We got to okay. make... No, I'm not done. No? Okay. <laughs> okay, continue. Yeah. You are the inventor and the sensei of still life. <laughs> and you're supposed to teach me and enlighten me in the ways of still life. There was okay. nothing better than going on my IG and seeing you perfectly still. Why some crazy shit is going on? <laughs> right on, man. Thank you. Should we get one? Should we? How about you, me, and your daughter? We can get one right now. You know what I mean? You in? A still life? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. I got both lyrics ready. Okay. So I'm gonna count to three. All right. And then we're gonna go like this, and we're not gonna move for like 15 seconds. Okay. Sound good? Yeah. Can we pull that off? Let's do it. And go. Keep holding it. Don't laugh. We did it. Yes. I needed a blink. I am now full-fledged follower in the ways of still life. <laughs> oh, my God. This has been great, man. Thank you. I really, I needed you, this. Thank you, man. I really no, I, I needed it too, man. I don't, I don't, I think this is my second IG live I've ever done. I don't, it's not really my thing. Right on, mate. Thank you. The legend, Chino XL, lyric in the back there. 
Thank you so much, brother. Have a good one, man. I appreciate Talk you. Talk to you soon. All right. Yo, thank you for listening to Mobile Homies. Make sure you subscribe and hit me with a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you catch your podcast. For more content, hit up lyricsborn.com. Love y'all. Uh.